0: hey there welcome to twins talk clear-cut communication yes we are twins and yes we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle
1: the topic of communication in a podcast but we're going to do it anyway and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable
0: Hey, happy new year. This is the first podcast of 2023, and we wanted to wish everybody a happy new year. Right, Bear? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it's going to be a good one or not.
1: Well, it's hard to judge given populations' interest in being so diverse. Populations' interest in being so diverse? Yeah, I mean, we've got a population that is absolutely polarized. Oh, you mean divisive? Divisive is better.
0: Okay. So a population that's so divisive, you're right. Well, now, I don't know if our listening audience is a diverse, divisive population. Oh, no,
1: they love each other.
0: I think they're probably diverse, but they probably, if they met each other, except for those international ones, we still don't know who those are. I mean, we got folks from Germany, from Japan who are listening in. And by the way, if you are in Germany or Japan and listening in, you ought to write us. We'd love to find out who you are. Absolutely. And we're coming to you from Cool, California. What's a better place to be in January than in California? And what could be a better city than Cool? Cool is synonymous with California. Cool. They're one and the same. That's right. Well, anyway, we wanted to move on, and and we thought today we might tackle the concept of what does a coach provide? You know, coaches do lots of things, but essentially, a coach provides certain things. And I'm going to suggest in providing that it takes certain skill sets. So today we wanna to kind of go back and forth between what the coach provides and the skills that a coach needs in order to provide those very things. So maybe you could kick us off with one of your observations about what you feel a coach really does provide and how that's important. Well, I think first and foremost, the coach provides assessment. Hmm. The coach
1: provides a picture of the current level of talent, the current level of skill in any one area as a baseline to begin looking at where we wanna go from where we are.
0: In previous episodes, we've brushed up against this topic of self-assessment. How do you put those two together? And where do you put those two together? The coach's assessment, which comes from a base of expertise and knowledge, and the individual self-assessment. Well, I'm always concerned
1: about self-assessment in that very few people have an accurate picture. Mm. Very few people when they assess their own skill level or their own performance, are accurate about it. Now, you've got to be accurate if you're in a competition where you can see where you sit amongst the others, but in a general sense, in a performance sense, say at work, and you don't have that straight line competition, you don't have that clarity, then I think self-assessment is something I ask for but I'm never quite confident it's going to be accurate. Hmm. So when I thought of myself in high school as a potential professional baseball player. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. (laughs) For for a guy at your skill level to think that the pros are nearby, I think that's part of my concern.
0: (laughs) So you do encourage self-assessment, but you're saying frequently self-assessment will not be as accurate a picture as it needs to be. Right. People need to look at themselves and ask questions
1: about their performance level and any area they want to develop in, but not to trust as being accurate. Some people are too hard on themselves. Other people are far too lenient. Mm -hmm. I think it takes an outside source sometimes to give that clarity. The other thing is that in assessment, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't do is they don't try to make assessments based on numerical picture, Mm. where they're actually counting things. Too often in behavior, we use anecdotal stuff. Well, I was told I'm pretty good. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. We don't know. You got to be able to count it. You got to be able to count anything that you want to assess. It has to be numerical.
0: And that goes back to an earlier concept that I think you've shared in previous podcasts. You really can't manage... What you can't measure. Exactly. So the numerical assessment creates a a context in which we can actually manage that or help the individual manage their performance by having it really rooted in numerics, in real data, in real numbers. Right. I think a lot of people excuse
1: themselves from developing measures because they think, well, you can't do that. For example, how can I measure attitude? How Mm -hmm. can I measure a negative attitude? Well, one measure of a negative attitude would be how many times in an hour someone says no. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a negative attitude. That means no. It might be the number of times someone inserts themselves in a conversation with a comment that's oppositional but doesn't come up with any
0: solutions. Well, in light of the things we've talked about in the past, a, a way of measuring whether you're a good listener, which is often what we're called in to coach executives about as they've been critiqued as not being good listeners, is how many questions are they asking? How much are they actually exploring versus advocating? So yeah, it is a case of trying to think through how do we get there so we can actually count and give the person being coached a way of thinking about this that has rooted in a kind of a quantitative analysis. Right. I want to go back and talk a little bit about the skills necessary for that, but I just raised the issue of a quantitative analysis. And that was another thing that you've commented on that coaches provide, and that is analysis. That That's one of the jobs of a coach is to analyze or to provide an analysis for the individual. Want
1: to take that a bit further? Well, only that part of doing that well is identify patterns. Hmm. For me to analyze your skill set and what you need to improve on, I have to see what the patterns are. What do you repeatedly do? What would be new to you? So in that analysis, I'm giving you a picture of some
0: alternative that you use. And I think a key concept that I would want the listeners to grab a hold of in this area of analysis is the concept of comparative analysis that the real value a coach can provide in doing an analysis is to offer comparisons, is to provide a comparative context in which the individual can really look at their behavior as compared to other. Now, you and I both know in working with executives and working with managers, there's all kinds of national norms that say, here's in general how managers handle this. Or, and so having that available to us and being able to give the client some comparative analysis really helps them set where they are. And you had commented about the notion of establishing patterns. And I'm going to say one of the skills that we've highlighted and will highlight repeatedly is in order to be a good coach, you have to be able to see the patterns and you have to be able to establish them for the client as a pattern. That brings in another skill that I think is important in both this assessment and analysis is observation, your ability to observe. I would love for you to speak a little bit about the role you think that plays in being a good coach. To me,
1: coaching is really seeing what person you're coaching can't see. Mm. It's seeing nuanced elements of the person's behavior, mm-hmm. things that would not stand out to them but make a difference. And I think uh, serious coaching for people who are high performers is very much dependent upon your observational skills. Mm. It doesn't take much to coach someone who's brand new to something, it doesn't take nuanced observation. Because it's so obvious that they're new to it. They're unfamiliar. If I were coaching someone running track, maybe one of the first statements says, we maybe need to use track shoes rather than boots. (laughs) That'll get you a better time. I mean, when someone's really new to something, coaching is really not very challenging initially. But when you're coaching people who are high performers, people who are already successful, then you need to be able to see those nuances, those small elements those pieces that could slide by and not be noticed, that's where you make a difference. And I use again athletics, but I would assume in golf and tennis, swimming, it's looking at someone's smallest movements when they're swinging, where their balance is, seeing where their hands are closing, any of those kind of things that someone wouldn't actually see themselves.
0: You know, you used a phrase and you haven't brought it up yet in this podcast, but the nuanced eye. And I love that phrase because it's not only novel, but it captures a central issue that you're raising here. And that is the coach really needs to see things that others might not see. And it's at a nuanced level. It's not at a blatant level. And I would almost say to our listening audience, that's something to work on. If you want to work on something in order to be a better coach, to increase your powers of observation. Now, I'm going to share an academic piece. Take this fish and look at it and it was just a one-page article, but it talked about a professor who would give his students at the beginning of a biology class a fish. And he would say, I want you to take this fish and look at it, and then come back and tell me what you see. And so students would do that. And when they would come back and tell him what they saw, he would say, okay, but there's more to see there. And so then the student would go out and look again. Well, this went on for weeks. And finally, the students began to get the idea. There is a lot going on here that if I had just stopped at the first pass, stopped at the second pass, stopped at the third pass, I would have missed all this. And that's what I, since you saying, really good coaches, valuable coaches, that's a key to what makes them so successful. Oh yeah,
1: that's a terrific way to state that. Terrific application of that idea of nuanced eye.
0: And we've heard the argument before, well, I just don't do that very well. This article actually suggests No, you got to work at it. It's not a case of, well, I just don't do that. It doesn't come natural to me. This is one of those places that says, in order to be a good coach, what I have to first be is really good at the power of observation. And it's not only just being able to observe, but observe at a nuanced level, observe at the real subtle level, be able to pull things back and uh, see them differently. Yeah, I like that. I like it a lot. Another thought on uh, what the coach provides?
1: Uh, Yeah, one of the things I think the coach provides is a look at or a examination of what I call in spite of behaviors.
0: Hmm.
1: A lot of the people we coach are very successful. They didn't get to where they are by being unsuccessful. They do so many things right. But that success is also in spite of some of their behaviors. And those are the ones that they don't really look at and haven't really examined the degree to which those become obstructive or those become a, a problem.
0: Is them having us a coach one of those things that's kind of in spite of? They, they're they actually succeeding in spite of us being their coach?
1: No, no, that's that, that cannot possibly be true. That would never happen. But that's not what I'm referring <laughs> to. What I'm saying is they've lived with these behaviors a long time. Hmm. And don't even recognize them as obstacles.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. Don't
1: even see them as a deterrent to their success. And yet when we watch them, we notice automatically that's getting in your way and you don't even realize it. Something that keeps you from succeeding at a next level. Mm -hmm. So I think part of a coach's responsibility is you provide comment on those behaviors that you're succeeding in spite of.
0: I'm going to use this as an opportunity to introduce what we think is a critical coaching skill, which is listening. And we've been hammering listening for two and a half years. So I think people shouldn't be surprised if they hear us saying listening is a critical part of being a good coach. Listening really does trigger this notion of the coach being more aware of, of what those in spite of behaviors are. It's not only observation. We often work in this field of communication. And oftentimes it's kind of one of those, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you're saying? So as we're listening very, very carefully, it's about not having this prescriptive program. In our consulting world, there are all kinds of consulting groups, big ones and small boutique firms. And one of the things that I've often found that I find offensive, particularly in this coaching arena, is that some consultants go in with a pre-described format with a kind of template of, here's how I'm going to improve you. And they're not really listening to the individual. They're really not plugged in to what's going on for that individual. I would say it's not been customized or personalized, even though they say it is being customized or personalized. What they've got is a template of what makes good leaders, good leaders. And I think both you and I would argue, no, long-term, that doesn't make for a good coach. That makes for a prescribed methodological individual who's going to lay a template on top of you and not necessarily coach you effectively. What you've described to
1: me is not coaching, it's training under the guise of coaching. Hmm. It's really training you in our method of leading. And we just needed to get you to hear a couple of words and realize that those are the key and then we'll fit them into our model. So I don't really consider that kind of contact coaching. To me, that's more of a training element disguised as coaching.
0: Other thoughts on what coaches provide? Yeah,
1: I think they provide motivation for change. Hmm. I think that motivation, the depth of it has to come from the individual, but the surface motivation can come from the coach, can turn your head a bit and get you started and give you a couple of extra ounces of energy to, to move. But I think part of what a coach should provide is motivation for change. And part of that motivation is a challenge. Part of that motivation is identifying a goal, a place to get to, and prompting that person to move toward it.
0: Do you remember the joke about how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? You want me to answer? Sure.
1: It takes one, but the light bulb's got to want to change.
0: <laughs> exactly. I always love that one. The individual has to want to change. But I think as coaches, we do have to accept the responsibility somewhere. We have to challenge the individual as a part of this change process particularly, you know, again, you go back to athletes and that's one model, but you work with executives or leaders. And it is a case of trying to figure out how do I challenge them and help them get to where they want to get to, even though sometimes they're offering a lot of resistance. Reactions to that?
1: Well, it just reminds me of the story of the one fellow that I've used it before in a Merrill Lynch training session. After a couple of hours of training, he came up to me at a break and said, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think what you're talking about is absolutely the right thing to do. I'm five years from retirement. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I don't have to do it. I don't need to do it. I've got five years. I'm not doing it. He said, but I know what you're saying is so right that I promise you I won't hire anybody like me in the five years I have left. And so I was thinking, well, he's not going to move, but... He's doing a good thing in saying, "I recognize the truth of it. I recognize the principle of leadership you're describing, and that mine is flawed." And while I'm not willing to go to the effort, because he knew how much work it would take, Mm -hmm. he was he was a
0: wise fellow, and that's got to feel good to you. I mean, great. You know, one of the things I'd like to do is walk back through so we're very clear as to what we mean by this, because I think oftentimes people think of coaches as cheerleaders. They think of coaches as encouragers. They think of coaches as these people who are out there kind of giving direction and things like this. And they often don't think about the very things we've been talking about. So the notion that coaches help with assessment, they give individuals an accurate assessment almost as a starting point. Coaches provide analysis. I'm going to say comparative analysis. It gives the individual an opportunity to look at themselves in comparison to either others or to some national score or something, but it's not just a kind of raw data point. It does have comparative value. The other action, this notion of identification of in spite of behaviors, and we went through that pretty quickly, and I like the notion when you and I were talking about this, the book that came to my mind is what got you here won't get you there. We do have behaviors that get us someplace, but in fact, I think it's the in spite of behaviors that prevent us from getting to the next place because we're not seeing those and we think, well, boy, I've been really successful. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And I think it's a coach that says, no, there are some behaviors out there that have not prevented you from getting where you are, but they're going to restrict your ability to even get further along this path that you're on. And then this nuanced eye, which again, I attribute to, and think it's a great picture as I think about a coach. I just like the idea that good coaches have nuanced eyes. They walk into a situation, even as a manager or leader, you're being asked to coach somebody, and what you have is not your standard template operating procedure, but you have this nuanced eye that you look at things and you see something that others don't see. You've looked at it long enough and repeatedly enough, you say, I see what's underlying all this, That
1: that really works. I would add there, the nuanced eye is also Helped by your ears. But I think <laughs> nuance, I think it's vision. It's not a vision issue always.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It could be a hearing issue. I can hear the subtle differences. I can hear the resistance. I can hear the reluctance. So the nuance, eye could be considered both uh, eye and ear.
0: That's a great observation. And what you triggered in me when you said that is I can hear the difference. I can see it. And it leans back to me on that notion that we raised that the skill set is also about challenging. And I'm going to say confronting. I think a good coach has the ability to confront, has the ability to confront someone with the reality of what they're facing. In fact, John Wooden made the comment, a coach is someone who can give correction without causing resentment. Now, I think Wooden was capable of doing that. I'm not sure all coaches who are considered good coaches are, but that's a notion we need to be able to confront and you need to be able to challenge. So I'm almost going to say to the folks out there that think of themselves as wanting to be coaches, if you can't confront, if you can't stay on point And you think your only job is to encourage and support and affirm, you're probably not going to be a good coach because there are behaviors that need to be confronted. And they come in this package again of nuanced ear, this nuanced eye, this ability to listen intently, to pull things out, the ability to observe, the skill we talked about that, all those. And again, I love your statement that really one of the skills that good coaches have is the ability to look at the individual and see patterns. I am so amazed at how often the people I work with don't see any pattern at all in their behavior. They just think, well, this doesn't really relate to that. And I'm saying, heavens, it relates perfectly. This is a pattern that you've established or you've developed that you need to address. That would be my summary. Anything you would add to that? No, I think
1: you've uh, done a good job. I really like that idea of challenging people and, and seeing as part of that confrontation. I think all too often people do believe that coaching is a matter of pleasant positive only kind of comments. I think confrontation is asking the person to take a harder look, asking the person to step back and I continue to rely on history or their previous performance.
0: The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.